0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another commentary episode for Novel, When the Mountain's Called. And today we have a special treat. We have the voice actor, Jonathan Keener, with us, who has actually been reading this story for all of us to enjoy. And Jonathan and I are going to do the commentary today, instead of Caleb and I. Again, I go by mati, which means, all things like insightful or knowing one or all seeing eye... And I like that moniker because the whole purpose for these commentary episodes is to try to sift out what is going on. Shannon did such a fantastic job of writing this very mysterious story with so much allegory and symbolism, and I've just been having a ton of fun trying to sort it out. Now, Jonathan is ahead of me because he's doing the reading. He knows what happens in the future, but again, we're not going to give you any spoilers, Um, but Jonathan can give us some teasers anyway. I am listening to it as you, the audience, are, so I'm not getting any of this in advance. So anyway, it's just going to be a, a ton of fun to dive through this episode. And welcome, Jonathan. How are you, man? Doing well.
1: How are you, Monty? I'm
0: <laughs> doing fantastic. I think that this episode five, um it, it was like one of the more mysterious of all the episodes so far. What do you think?
1: I would absolutely agree. And, uh, I would say there's a lot of things that get set up in this episode that you really start to wonder about this world that Andrew has found himself um, called into. Um, I think a lot of things that are going to be some pretty exciting, pretty exciting content coming up. I totally agree with what you said. Shannon has done an amazing job setting up a great
0: story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to dive into episode five specifically, but Jonathan has the longer vision. He can see the future that I can't see, which is going to be fun. But before we do that, Jonathan, I wanted to hear a little bit more about you and what you're doing with this podcast. So I guess the first question is, um, who is Jonathan Keener?
1: Yeah, so um, I am a aspiring um, writer, aspiring actor. Um, sort of, I know Caleb and Shannon from Uh, way back in our college days, not too long ago, but still. Um, So, you know, I got the chance to be a part of this. Uh, Caleb had originally reached out to me, and I jumped on it. Been glad I did.
0: Well, those people that know about Luther uh, around the nation are probably very familiar with Christmas at Luther. And that's where I first heard you perform, right? Uh, You did some readings for Christmas at Luther, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, I really enjoyed, I mean, I enjoy singing, I enjoy music, all of that, but I also got the chance to be a orator um, at Christmas at Luther, which was a pretty breathtaking experience, getting to talk in front of that many people, not just the audience in front of you, but your peers and professors and um, directors behind you is uh, a little bit of a humbling experience, but definitely worthwhile.
0: Well, for those listeners out there who don't know what this is, um, Luther College has been putting this on for, oh man, decades and decades and decades, I guess, Jonathan. But uh, it's a very big event with hundreds and hundreds, up to 600 choral voices, full orchestra, uh, people doing live readings like Jonathan did. And it's attended uh, by thousands of people, and they do it multiple times. So, it's presented over and over and over for kind of an extended weekend. It's a, it's one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen a college do. Just an amazing production. Very, very well done. And every year that Caleb was at Luther, we went and got to be a part of Christmas at Luther. And Jonathan, I remember when you read and, and you did a fantastic job. So anyway, I feel like I'm talking to the celebrity here, right?
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. It's been a real pleasure getting to... Uh share somebody else's work in this way, and really a fantastic um, fantastic story. So hopefully I am doing it justice.
0: Uh, you are. I've been enjoying your reading. Uh, you're doing a great job, and you know, I, I say almost every time we do one of these commentary episodes, I'm just blown away by you and Shannon and Caleb and all that you guys are doing for this, and, and I want to say thank you, because I'm enjoying it very much, and I know that the listeners are too. So anyway... Um, Why don't we dive in to this episode five? Just a, a little, yeah, a little bit of a preview or a reminder, a review of what happened here is that Andrew, now we know his name, awakes in Mac's cabin, and then they pretty soon after that start hiking into the mountains. Andrew is interpreting this as finding Pearl, and Mac is leading Andrew. They cover a lot of ground. And then they come across some surprising things. A lot of symbolism woven throughout. And they actually make it way up onto a high saddle between mountains. And there they see some stuff, which we're going to talk about. And then the episode ends right there. So that just kind of gives us the setting. But let's rewind now and talk about some of the symbolism that we picked up. And this one is so rich. Jonathan, with symbolism, that I think I, I missed some of it. So maybe you can fill in the gaps where uh, where they are for me. So, yeah. uh, I'll first do my best. Thing, Yeah, let's talk about the dream sequence. So at the beginning, Andrew is, I guess, dreaming, right? W- what's that about?
1: Yeah, so that's uh, part of this that actually has uh, perplexed me a little bit uh, as the reader, trying to figure out both how to... Um, without, of course, some of the notes that I have in here or the italics that I have here, um, convey the idea that this is a separate um, separate aspect of the story, that it is these dreams and not just part of the narration. Um, but also trying to figure out what these dreams are, who actually is uh, who is actually saying these things. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that I've come up with an answer for myself. I don't know if Shannon has an answer or if it's something that we'll learn. In later episodes I hope it is um, but I think the voice of this um, the voice of these narrations these dream sequences is a little bit didactic a little bit um, comforting but also there's sort of a um, gotta be cruel to be kind aspect of this where they are making these observations about Andrew's doubt and about how little Andrew is really in the grand scheme of things Um, I just absolutely love the lines in here about how old the mountains are and how they never complain, they never want, they never wish for something different they just are standing there through time and as other things come and go um, And I think for somebody who is lost in this new world, there's something inspiring about that, but also something a little bit, a little bit terrifying about that. Um, So I really, these voices are perplexing to me as the reader as well.
0: Yeah, maybe it's just a bad case of schizophrenia. What do you think?
1: (laughs) I think there's definitely (laughs) something to be said, maybe not schizophrenia, but for this voice being um, some aspect of... Um, Andrew's own um, psyche.
0: Yeah, I've been really interested by that as well. I mean, the name of this story is When the Mountains Called, right? And in the beginning, it seemed clear to me that the mountains were the voice, or the voice is represented by the mountains somehow. But this time, in this sequence, at the beginning of this episode... Um, the voice speaks of the mountains, kind of like in the third person. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So who is the voice? And then when, when Mac came on the scene, I thought, well, maybe Mac was the voice. But it doesn't seem like it's Mac. And we don't really know, right? That's part of the mystery. But Andrew keeps hearing this call, and he keeps interpreting it as a call to find Pearl. But it almost seems like a lot more is coming out of this than just looking for his lost wife. Would you agree with that?
1: I absolutely would agree with that. And um, I have to say, without spoiling too much, there is a lot that you come to find out about um, Andrew's purpose in the mountains and Mac's purpose in the mountains in coming episodes that I think uh, listeners will find really intriguing and really, really, um, really captivating.
0: Well, early on in this episode, there's a little commentary about how everything in the cabin seems, it's almost like old and new at the same time, or it wasn't said this way, but you know how sometimes people will build something that looks old, that's actually new. Um, what it talked about was like the rust on the wood stove that had maybe had some polyurethane that covered it up, which gave it a sense of clean and fresh and new, but showing old. And I think, The point of that has something to do with the timelessness of what's going on here. And it's a little bit bewildering to me, you know? It's hard to understand who is Mac and how long has he been there. And um, later on, it says something about Mac. He could be 200 years old or he could be 40, right? It's hard to know.
1: Absolutely. You have this really interesting character in Mac, um, and you see this in his cabin where it's both old and new at the same time. And that sort of applies to... Mac is a character who is both definitely a human who has, or at least had, his own life and who, you know, he's got a home where he cooks and eats and sleeps and does all of these very basic human things. Um, And at the same time, there is an element of uh, mystery of um, beyond to him, almost a demigod type quality Um, To this character where he seems to know and understand things about the mountain that, at least to Andrew, who is coming in as a total stranger, total um, babe in the woods, um, seems mystical almost.
0: You know, there are several things that came to mind as you were saying that. The first is that, you know, Andrew wakes up and there's this sunlight streaming into the cabin. And then when Mac enters, there's a a little line there, something about how it almost seemed like the light was coming from Mac somehow, right? Um, Or there was a question about that. And then as they're hiking up into these mountains, it seems that every time that Andrew looks at Mac, the sun glares somehow off Mac, and Andrew has to look away or squint or whatever, and it's almost like, well, wait a minute, is Mac just a dude and the sun is always in the wrong place? Or is somehow Mac playing with the light?
1: The light streaming in through the captain's door reached him where he slept in the bed-sized nook, and his eyes opened. Sleep slipped away like dew melting before the early morning sun, and soon he was able to rise, pleased to notice that his joints did not ache as they had ached the night before. Mac was nowhere to be seen. The kitchen, dappled in sunrays, looked equal parts clean and homespun, as if the iron stove's rusting surface had been covered by a thin layer of polyurethane, smooth and clean to the touch, but preserving evidence of rust and dirt. Good, good use beneath. On the burner sat the tea kettle, still steaming. Mac must have boiled water for morning tea. Andrew helped himself to a cup, and moved to sit at the little table, when the front door opened. Ready? Mac's face was beaming and his dark eyes shone, reflecting the morning energy that streamed into the kitchen in such a way that Andrew wasn't sure if Mac himself had been causing it. Andrew nodded, not really sure what ready meant. But the dream from the previous night had encouraged him. Today, he was one step closer to finding Pearl. That's what the dream had said, at least this morning. Basking in the steadily warming heat coming from the sun in Mac's eyes, Andrew chose to believe it. You know, I was thinking really with this, and I don't know if this is what Shannon was intending at all, but um, thinking to my own experience and things that I've read, uh, to uh, Pilgrim's Progress, a very famous allegorical story um, where the characters are both human and at the same time they stand for these really um, sort of ideals or situations, um, with the main character, of course, being... uh, a literal pilgrim who is taking this journey and at the same time representing a faith journey um, for not just Mm. an individual person, but for people as a whole. Um, And I think there's an element of Mac where, yes, he is a human and he is a character in the story, but he's also, and especially as we'll see as the stories go on, a guide, both literally and in a figurative metaphorical sense, he illuminates um Andrew's mind and his understanding not just of the mountains but of Andrew's own um Andrew's own quest to find pearl and to find um just a lot of really fascinating things out about him his self and his own life
0: interesting I think we see this again when they start talking about death cuz Mac asks Andrew um where he thinks he is and Andrew, instead of replying with a location, he replies with a state. <laughs> right? I think we're dead. We're dead, aren't we? <laughs> right? And then Max says, oh, that's interesting. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Is he dead or not? And we, in the previous commentaries, we've been talking about this a lot. Is, is Andrew really dead? He thinks he's dead. He's decided he's dead. And some things make you think that that must be true. Um, but then the other things make you think Not. And I loved what Mac's response was when he looked at Andrew and he said something about when you were back in your fields, right? And it's a reference all the way back to episode one, the very first episode. And he describes the setting where Andrew was then. He says, were you you alive then? And that really is the question right? But also is interesting that Mac knew about Andrew's setting in episode one when Mac wasn't there. So it gives that, again, more mystery to Mac. How does he know this stuff?
1: Absolutely. And I will say um, some really great observations, some really great questions in there. Um, I don't know how much I can say without giving away some of the grand reveals later on. Um, but I will say this question of what is this place? What are these mountains? Um, continues to be brought up um, over and over again in not just this episode, but in the next few episodes. Um, and you will continue also not just to have that question about this period in um, Andrew's, I guess, life, death, however, it ends up shaking out, but these flashbacks either... um through dreams, or through Andrew's own reflections, or through things that other characters reveal about Andrew, um, that ask this question of, well, what was, what did it mean when, what did it mean when he was back home, and when he was um, quote-unquote alive? So really interesting questions there, and I am eager to find out some more answers, and I will say that coming up in the next couple of episodes, there are some pretty fascinating twists.
0: Welcome to Crossroads Cantina. It sits it's somewhere between time and space, welcoming patrons from every walk of life. Come join me to hear their stories. Crossroads Cantina is a fiction podcast featuring narrated short stories and the occasional full cast audio drama episode. Head on over to www.crossroadscantinapodcast.com to subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Well, you brought up the mountains and Mac knowing things about what the mountains represent and what they are. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because it was in the last commentary episode that we realized, you know, all this time Andrew was going to the mountains for his answer. But in the last episode it became clear that they had to find the correct mountain and it's like oh there's more to this than just getting to the mountains collectively they have to go through the mountains and sift through them to find the answers that they're looking for and i keep on wondering you know pearl i keep on saying he's probably pearl of great price or something i i'm not sure and i'm just speculating i know nothing about the future of this story I'm not sure that finding his wife, Pearl, is actually going to be the Pearl that he finds, but something much more meaningful, right? Especially when you reflect back on the last episode before Five, when it comes out that he had turned into a bit of a hermit. He had kind of cloistered himself into an existence that didn't have much reward to it, if that makes sense it was just kind of a, a a drudging through life with the familiar and, and he had decided that it was all good and okay. And he was very resistant to change, but now he's having the adventure of a lifetime and he thinks he's dead.
1: Absolutely. Again, I think Shannon has done a fantastic job in this episode and the last episode, especially of setting up some fantastic, um, fantastic reveals, um, that are coming up. But I think, one of the most the things that becomes most clear and you start to see it in this episode and I I feel comfortable talking about this I don't feel like it gives too much away is that Andrew's life prior to this um, episode this adventure was not much um, not much substance as far as human connection or um, really self-reflection um, he really was just surviving you know sort of that old Old uh, joke stereotype. I'm not. I'm not living. I'm just surviving. And I think we find a character who. I mean, the sad truth of it is, when we start this story, that is his life. He is surviving. He's making it day to day, and he finds no real joy in anything.
0: I think that that is the magic of the work that Shannon is doing. Actually, she's writing through the character of Andrew, who we called Dude for the longest because we never knew his name, but the character of Andrew, um, human archetypes. She's talking about what it is to be human on some fundamental level and expressing so many things that I think everyone experiences in life from time to time. You may not identify with it currently, but at some point in life, you probably will identify with Andrew. And the call of the mountains can represent so much more. And I think that everyone that listens to this storyline. Jonathan, with you reading it and Caleb creating the music and Shannon creating this, this amazing story, since it is based on human archetypes, everyone gets their own impression of what's going on. They get their own interpretation or their own private impact, you know, how it impacts them and how they, they think about it. And I know personally, um, I'm starting to feel the call. It's like, okay, I personally feel like I don't want to get stuck in life. I want to make sure that I'm moving on and continuing to learn and to grow. You know what I mean? And that's what Andrew's going through. So, you know, Shannon is uh, doing it in such a beautiful way. Instead of saying, hey, everybody, you ought to wake up and get out there and live life. Right? She tells us a story that draws us into that experience.
1: And I think part of that is just the beauty, too, of storytelling as a medium for conversation. I mean, she could have written a podcast that was just... uh, Philosophical discussion about what life is like, and it would have been great, and I'm sure she would have done an amazing job um, writing that out. But at the same time, there you lose something by not having that human connection, even to a human who doesn't exist beyond the doesn't exist beyond the page, beyond this story, Um, and getting to witness that and empathize with that firsthand is a lot different than an academic discussion of it, which is, I think, the real power of this story.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. It makes it so relatable. Well, let's move into the story a little bit further. They go hiking up through these mountains for a long time, and Mac is the guide, showing the way. Uh, He continues to blind Andrew. Every time Andrew looks up at him, somehow the sun's in the wrong spot. But then they come to a saddle that's between two high peaks, And Andrew is surprised about how far they've come. And there's some discussion there about the way that Mac moves through the forest up these mountains almost like he is flowing like light, right? And Andrew somehow feels like there's no way he could have covered that ground without Mac being there. So there's another surreal kind of what's going on here moment. But when they get to this saddle, they have a view and they start to see things. And... I think we should list a couple of them. I don't know what these things represent, but I want to highlight them. First of all, they start talking about um, sequences of mountains. First mountains, second mountains, and third mountains. And Mac is always... Everything he says is a question or a mystery, right? But he says, oh, yeah, there are third mountains, but there were no second mountains. And it's like, what? There are first mountains and third mountains, but no seconds? I don't know what that's about. i having a clue. Um, then there's a river... And we're going to dive into this river thing. Um, This is a different river than the one that Andrew floated down to get to the base of the mountains. And it represents something new. And we can speculate a little bit, Jonathan, on what that is. But what's fascinating is that there is a valley girl below them in this valley who is holding back the river.
1: He pointed towards the girl below them, whose head was bowed and almost touching the rock on which she knelt. Most valleys are quiet, unassuming, Mac said, staring down at the girl. He looked at Mac, then grinned, flashing white teeth. Sometimes they're a little shy, especially if the mountains around them are particularly loud. They take all the spotlight, I guess. Andrew's head was spinning, but Mac didn't notice. The valley girl, though, she's special. She bears the brunt of the work, holding back the great river. Imagine the woods below, and all of us who live there, people and towns and me and my hut, if she didn't stay put in that river. He shook his head, still smiling, the fire back in his eyes, a sort of reverence. Andrew closed his mouth, just realizing it had fallen open. Holding back the... But he trailed off, peering down into the valley, into that moment of realizing what he was seeing. A young girl, yes, blonde and fair, in the middle of the icy, swirling currents. But she wasn't crouching on a rock. She was the rock. Though he had first thought her legs were bent beneath her, hidden under her torso against a smooth black surface, Andrew saw that her torso blended evenly with, not a rock, but a thick black skirt, which was thigh-deep in glacial river that flowed around her. And it did flow around her. But the longer Andrew watched, the more he could see the great river swirling behind her, pushing back at her in waves where she stood firm-footed before it eddied around her and coursed past, but this time more controlled the Valley Girl was stopping what would have surely been a destructive force from crashing over the side of the mountain to flood the world below. You know, I will say with the, um, Valley Girl, I think we're given a little bit more here. Um, we don't come back to her for a couple more episodes after this, I will say. We sort of go off into those, um, first mountains that you were talking about. Uh, third mountains will come on a little bit later, I promise. Um, but... The valley girl really is, um, she's a force of nature in a lot of ways. Um, She is equal with this river of um, really this unmitigated force of um, chaos. Um, But a river which also we are told um, the whole valley sort of leans down into. Um, But at the same time, there's something very deeply human about her, and she has, even just through a glance at him, she's able to empathize with Andrew and be able to tell him that he does have this um, struggle, this quest that he's going on, um, but that there is so much more going on inside of him, and I think in a lot of ways she's the first sort of the instigator for some of the things that come later where we see Andrew not only searching for his lost wife, but also searching for some meaning in his own existence. Um, I won't say life at this point, since we're still not quite sure what his status as far as alive or dead is. Um, But I think, most importantly, with the Valley Girl, she is a um, benign influence. She has all this tremendous power, and yet she is using it to protect other people and to try and help unmask some of these issues that are facing Andrew um, and providing a place of rest um, amidst the struggles that Andrew has already come from, both in his life and climbing up this mountain, and the struggles that are to come in the next few episodes as he gets into deeper mountain
0: territory. So, Jonathan, can you read for us what the valley girl says to Andrew? Absolutely.
1: As they're coming down the mountain, she looks at him and says, Your grief is powerful, Andrew, and it consumes you. But there is good in it. There can be good in it, in a course directed.
0: Where am I in you, Andrew? Where am I? Wow. A course directed... Where am I in you? So her purpose is to manage the river somehow. She's saying that she is a part of Andrew in that way too. And I don't know exactly what that means, what it is inside of Andrew that's holding back the flow of something. Maybe it's holding back chaos. Maybe it's holding back stuff that should happen. I don't know, but that's that's powerful right there. I, I don't really know what to make of that.
1: You're absolutely right. And I will say that that line right there sets up so much more that comes on as they continue through the mountains. And as, uh, you sort of come along as the listener, um, with Andrew on this journey of discovering what it is he's actually looking for. Um, and that's a really powerful thing, I think.
0: (laughs) Well, Jonathan, I want to say thank you very much for, I'm discussing this episode with us. It's been a real delight for me to get to visit with you. And I'm looking forward to the remaining episodes to get some of these mysteries addressed. But I want to remind the listeners, we each have our own interpretation. And it might be that the way that you interpret these events and these these things, like the Valley Girl and the river and the mountains... It may be that in the end, your interpretation is a little different than the storyline, but it might even be more meaningful to you in that way. And that's the beauty of what Shannon has done, is she's given us the license and the liberty to make this relatable. And so just listeners remember that. I've listened to this episode, I think, three times now, and I'm going to keep listening to it (laughs) because there's so much there. And I want to make sure I anchor it because I feel like what we're going to find out going forward is going to relate a lot to what happened in this episode, even though the storyline actually didn't go very far. We went from the cabin to the saddle of the mountains. That's about it, right? But so many things were introduced there. So Jonathan, thank you very much for your time uh, discussing all of these things with me today. Thank you. It's been a wonderful experience. And I love the way that you read that so much. Would you mind ending this episode by reading one more time what the Valley Girl says? Of course.
1: Your grief is powerful, Andrew, and it consumes you. But there is good in it. There can be good in it, in a course directed. Where am I in you, Andrew? Where am I?
0: (laughs) Beautiful. All right, Jonathan, thanks so much. Absolutely. Have a fantastic day. All right, take care.